Welcome to Sermons and Sounds of Plymouth, the podcast of Plymouth United Church of Christ. I am Pastor David, and on behalf of the members of this congregation, thank you very much for joining us. May God bless you through these words, and may you know God's love through them. Now, the podcast. Our gospel lesson is from Gospel of Luke, and we're in the 15th chapter, and I'm going to read the first couple verses of the chapter and then skip to a parable that comes later. In between uh, these opening verses uh, and the parable of the prodigal son that we'll be reading is the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin that Jesus says uh, in response. So he's saying all three of these parables in response to this uh, opening uh, salvo by the text uh, or by uh, the Pharisees and the scribes. And so hear now and listen for how God is speaking to you through the Gospel of Luke. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. And so he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field and when he came and approached the house he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, our brother, your typo, your brother, has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. 
Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Here ends the reading. And thanks be to God. As a pastor and as a hospital chaplain and kind of being in the church and around people a lot, I have heard over the years many tales of woe, stories of suffering from people. And you would be surprised. Unless maybe this applies to you, then you won't be so surprised I think you might be surprised at the number of uh, the stories of, of suffering that I have heard that begin or end or at some point in the story have words to this effect of the person saying, I did everything that was expected of me. I did everything that was expected of me. I didn't break the rules. I was responsible. I did everything right. Everything I was supposed to do. That, I think, would be the story of the elder son here. The elder son who has done everything that was expected of him, and who apparently, by, at least by the words that he says at the end here, who has done everything that was expected of him and apparently <coughs> resents it, hated every minute of it. Resents that he has done that, that he's had to do that. Or if not resent or hate it, he's found no joy in it. I have worked like a slave. You don't say that about a job that you're happy to have done. I've worked like a slave. He saw the mold that he was supposed to fit into, and he ignored himself to live into it. And he did very well. He lived into that mold very well as far as it appears in the text. He was very diligent and very responsible. And he fit into that mold that he thought was expected of him. He fit into that mold so well that when a party breaks out, he can't find space within himself to enjoy it, to enter into it. And I've seen it. I've heard those stories. The responsible child who grows up and gets into an older age and realizes that they've never really lived. Not for themselves. Not had much joy in their life because they never felt they had permission to be anything other than what others wanted them to be. Uh, and, And to do that even as they saw others going out and following their passions or following their joys. Those who stayed close to home to take care of the parents or to take care of their siblings or other people. Those who have taken care of, uh, of their children, who have done what their parents wanted them to do, did what the teachers wanted them to do, did what the spouse wanted them to do, what the children wanted them to do, did everything that they thought was expected of them, took care of the sick, uh, but in that had to deny denied themselves. Denied themselves vacations, 
denied themselves afternoons to go out and have fun, have lunch with a friend, denied themselves opportunities to find joy, to find a job that they really liked. Those who have denied their dreams and their passions because of that sense of responsibility. And while maybe at the same time secretly resenting it all along. Or envying others who have broken out of that pattern, broken out of that mold. Who have seen their friends and family run off to follow some idea or dream and feel just stuck and boxed in who felt that they could never ask of those around them, where is my goat? Where's my party? When do I get to have a party? When do I get to celebrate me until they're too old to do anything about it and can only ask that question in anger or regret or both? I've heard those stories There are many who are the elder son. You know, and and, and these, when I hear these kind of stories from people about regretting not having fully lived, they have had otherwise very good lives, sensible lives. They've always made good decisions and right decisions. They have a good job, they have a good education, they had good kids. You know, they were never in jail, they never went bankrupt, they didn't have financial problems. The kids are all doing fine. You know, on the, on the surface, everything appears to be okay. They've done everything right, in a sense, their whole life, but they never really lived it. They were so busy taking care of other people or fitting into the mold that they felt was expected of them that they really never lived. And Jesus wants us to live before we die. We have the promise of eternal life, but it starts now. We don't have to wait until we die to live. I think that was one of Jesus' points, to live before we die. And that's not to say that responsibility is not a good thing. It is a good thing. And to be responsible and to uh, take care of your things. But responsibility itself can become an idol or an excuse. It can become a source of suffering. And so we have this elder son here in this story who who resents the younger son, the younger son who defied the norm, who went out of the box, who didn't do what was expected of him, who didn't stay at home to work on the farm like a slave and to resent it every day. And I wonder if the elder son here, and we have at the end of the parable, the father sees the son the younger son from far off sees him coming, which makes me think that maybe dad was out there every day looking on the horizon, hoping that the son would come home. And I wonder if the elder brother ever joined him in that. Maybe he too go out looking out on the horizon, but he's not looking for his brother. He probably doesn't care one way or another whether the younger brother ever comes home. Maybe he doesn't even want him to come home. But I wonder if the elder brother is out there scanning the horizon in a rare and private moment of allowing himself 
to feel and to look out on the horizon and lament what he's missing. To look out and go, there's a city over there. There's probably a party over there. There are places that I've never heard of over there that I bet are beautiful and amazing and that I would love to see and to experience. There's a whole world out there. I wonder what it's like. But he'll never know because he always keeps that as a private thought because, as we know, he's responsible. And to consider acting on the yearnings might be irresponsible. So he can't consider even acting on those thoughts, and so perhaps he begins to hate the horizon because it represents all the stuff that he doesn't get to have, that he doesn't get to experience. And because hating what he doesn't have and hating those who aren't like him or just detesting them or convincing himself that he doesn't want them, it's the only way to deaden the pain of not having them. To say, "Ah, I wouldn't want that anyway, it's stupid. Or why would anyone want to do that? Or everything is perfectly fine right here. Everything's great. It's all perfect right here. I don't need any of that other stuff. And so he never even tells his dad, never says to his dad at any time, hey, dad, you know what? I would like to have a day off. Could I have a goat so that my friends and I can have a celebration? Can I have a day to live? And who knows, maybe when he does finally say to his dad about not ever getting a goat to celebrate with his friends, perhaps he's also being sarcastic about having friends. Maybe he's been so responsible he has no friends. We don't know. But it seems for him it's easier to stay, and for many of us, it's easier to just stay in that self-righteous angry place, that woe-is-me, self-righteous, angry place, or to stay in that quietly suffering, responsible, pious place. But they're really the same place. It may come out of... uh, come out of our heads in different ways, but they're really the same place. They're both places to avoid being who we are and places of missing out on so much that God has to offer. And it reminds me of a story of another farmer, since we're talking about farmers. There's a farmer was out working in the field one day like he did every day and like he had done for uh, every day as long as he can remember out working on the farm that his father also had worked on and that was his and this is what his whole life had been and an angel appears next to him and he's kind of shocked startled like any of us would be and the angel says don't be afraid I come with good news I come to bring you a great blessing God has said that you can ask for anything you want, anything at all, and God will give it to you. You just have to say what it is. Say whatever you want, you can have. And the farmer was just about to speak, and the angel said, but 
that's not all. This even gets better. Not only will you get whatever you ask for, your neighbor will get it as well. In fact, your neighbor is going to get twice what you ask for. Whatever you ask for yourself, you can have. Your neighbor will get twice as much. If you ask for a new tractor, he'll get two. If you ask for a million dollars, he'll get two million dollars. You both win. Whatever it is, whatever you want, your neighbor will get twice as much. And the farmer thought for a moment and he said, Ah, make me blind in one eye. I think that's an elder son kind of response. And we humans seem to have this capacity to endure suffering if it means that someone else suffers more because of it. And the two sons in this story are each getting it wrong. They're they're getting life wrong. They think it's about themselves. You know, the younger son wanted his inheritance. He lived for himself, and he finally returned to his father, not out of love or, uh, or um, you know, religious sense of having sinned and, and wanting to be a different person. He's really returning out of selfish interest. It's an economic decision on his part. He's willing to accept uh, maybe being like a hired hand uh, or whatever, and he does use the language of I've sinned against you. Uh, but I think he's really making an economic decision here. I don't think this is a religious conversion on his part or a religious idea. It's an economic one. He knows that if he goes back, his dad is just going to have to take him in. It's the one place that he knows he'll get fed, that there's someone who will have to take care of him. Very much about himself. And the elder son also is thinking very much of himself. He has been responsible. He has worked. He has done his duty. And so we ask the question, what about me? Why did I never get even so much as a goat to celebrate with my friends? But it's not about them. And it's not about us. Life isn't just so much about us. What can I get out of it? Or what is God going to do for me? And we're certainly, I think this parable is about us in a sense that we're all the prodigal son, we're all the elder son, we're all the father, we're all the slave. At some point in our life and probably throughout the course of any day, we can find ourselves falling into all of those roles at various points. But it's all really about God. I think that's what Jesus is saying here. He's had a complaint against him that he's eating with taxpayers and sinners. And so he offers these three parables about, the, about lost, about loss, and bringing back those who are lost. It's stories about God, about God's reckless love, about God's extravagance, God's eagerness to throw a party. God's party. God's party. Not a party in our honor for anything that we did, but a party that comes out of God's joy that there has been restoration in the relationship. That the family is whole again. The one who was missing, whose absence diminished the family. The absence that diminishes us all has returned. 
The one who was missing has returned, and we are now all together again. Our community is restored. There are no more holes. There are no more broken links in the chain. We are all back together. There's no more missing children. And yet in all that joy, the, old, the elder brother just can't bear it. He just can't bear it. And he says to his father, this son of yours... This son of yours did these bad things. And then dad turns that around and says, this brother of yours came back. There's a relationship there. Like it or not, he's your brother. Like it or not, he's ours. And this party is mine. And it's up to you to decide whether you will attend. Amen. And that is the good news for this day and for all days. Thank you again for listening to the Sermons and Sounds of Plymouth podcast. If you are in the Eau Claire area, we especially invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m., And I invite you also to check out our website at pcucc.com for upcoming events and special worship services. From Plymouth United Church of Christ, Eau Claire, Wisconsin, this is Pastor David. Thank you for spending this time with us. May God bless you.